0: Over the last year, uh, as I've been your senior pastor, I hope you know now just how much I love this church. I love this church. I met my wife through this church uh, as a, when I was a student at a Dallas seminary. Um, I love this church. I love the history of this church. I love the teaching of this church. I love the men who have pastored this church. I love this church, but ultimately, the reason why I love this church is because I love the people of this church. And as we continue this series through really looking at our doctrinal statement point by point and what it is that we believe, we're coming now to the section in our doctrinal statement where we ask the question, what is the church? What is the church? And uh, some people think that the church is just like another club, another organization. You come, you pay your dues, you show up from time to time, you go on your way. But what we're going to see together this morning is that the church is entirely different. The church is something very unique, this creation of God, where it's the body of Christ, the bride of Christ that comes together in such a unique way, and for that reason, I am incredibly thankful to be a part of this local church. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and this is going to be our main passage this morning as we continue this series, taking a look at our doctrinal statement point by point and what it is that we believe we've looked at what is truth. We've looked at who is God. We've looked at what is sin, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, what is the gospel last week. And this week we're asking and answering the question, what is the church? And like we've been doing week after week, each week we're going to do three things. We're going to look at a particular text together. This week we're looking at Acts 2.42. Then we're going to take an in-depth look at the theology, our doctrinal statement, what it is that we believe. And then number three, we're going to talk about the takeaway, the so what, the what difference does it make in our life today. So hopefully by now you've opened your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And uh, let's take a look at verse 42 together. By the way, in the first service, I kept saying Luke, the gospel of Luke. It's actually the book of Acts. We're looking at Acts chapter 2, not Luke uh, chapter 2, but Luke wrote both books, so it's kind of Luke part 1. We're looking at Luke part 2, the book of Acts, chapter 2, just in case I get confused later. But let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. It says this, it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer." This is it. This is the verse we're going to look at together this morning. This early verse, very early on after the birth of the church, the beginning of the church, and this descriptive verse, uh, verse telling us what it is that the church in the early church did. There are several things that I want you to notice here in Acts chapter two, verse forty-two. Luke tells us they were continually devoting themselves. First, I want you to take note of the word they. When Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, uses the word they here, he is referring to more than just the apostles and the early disciples, that group of 12. He's referring to more than the larger group of 120. When Luke here in Acts 2 uses the word they in verse 42, he's describing the group of now thousands of people who are made up of the early church. By this point, I mean, we're just two chapters into the book of Acts. The church has really just began. It was just birthed in chapter two. And already the church is exploding in numbers. And this they is this big group of people, the early believers and followers of Jesus. And notice we're told that they are continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoting themselves. The word for devoted there means to hold fast to, to persevere in, to continue on in something, to really dedicate yourself to something. And so what is it that this early church, these thousands of believers were so devoted to? What were they persevering in? What were they holding fast to? Well, we're told that they're really devoting themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let's take an in-depth look at each of those four elements this morning. First, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching to the apostles' teaching. Now think about this. This is right after the church began. This is before the books of the New Testament were written down. And so when Luke tells us here in Acts chapter 2 that the early church, that these thousands of believers, that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were devoting themselves to the Old Testament, which already existed, as well as to the now new teaching from the apostles that the apostles had learned from Jesus himself. So now this early church, this group of believers, they are devoting themselves to the teaching of who Jesus is and how we're to understand him in light of the Old Testament. Now this doctrine, this teaching would later be written down into what you and I now hold in our hands and we call the New Testament. So for you and I here this morning, really an application for us is we devote ourselves to the New Testament, to the Old Testament. all that it reveals about who God is, about who Jesus is, and what difference it makes. But even very early on in the church, these thousands of believers, these followers of Jesus, they are clinging to, they're devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And when you read that, I want you to understand that not only were they daily, weekly devoting themselves to this teaching but they were also applying it in their life, right? It was more than just acquiring more information and more knowledge. This was truly transforming the way these early believers lived. And we see the details of this spelled out really throughout the rest of the book of Acts that the world itself has changed as these believers, these early Christians, are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they're continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Next, they're continually devoting themselves to fellowship. The early church devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, when you and I hear the word fellowship, often what we think of is hanging out together, right? We think maybe of church potlucks in days of uh, earlier days, right, of early church potlucks and things like that. Uh, But that's really not what the word here means, uh, the word for fellowship as you use as you take a look at this word's usage in the new testament especially in the book of acts this idea of fellowship really describes a personal devotion to one another a close association an interpersonal relationship that they have with one another as you use as you take a look at the usage of this word in the new testament it's associated with a number of other things Deep love for one another. Extreme generosity towards one another. The word fellowship is often also associated with serving with one another and serving one another. And fourth, one of the ones we don't like as much, the word fellowship is often in contexts of suffering together. The early church suffered a lot together. As they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to what they believed about who Jesus is and how his death and resurrection literally changed the world. The early church grew in their fellowship with one another as they suffered with one another. So, the early church, these early believers here in Acts chapter 2, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Third, the third thing in the list there, they were continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread to the breaking of bread. Now, this particular phrase could be used to describe these large meals that the early church often had together. Or other scholars say, no, this is specifically referencing the Lord's Supper communion. Now, those who say that this is referencing a larger fellowship meal agree that the Lord's Supper was often part of that meal. So both sides identified that the Lord's Supper played a very significant part in the life of the early church. And we're going to talk more about what we believe about the Lord's Supper or the breaking of bread here in just a little bit. But over time, the form and the frequency of taking the Lord's Supper has changed But here in this verse, I do think we see the importance of it. That this was one of the things listed here in Acts 2.42 as something that the early church, these early believers, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, including the Lord's table. And then finally, the fourth thing we see here in Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Now, you may have a footnote in your Bible And if you follow that footnote, it probably says literally, to the prayers. To the prayers. It's plural, and there's an article, the, that's there. Most likely, what's being referenced here is that the early church had specific prayers that they would pray together. In a pre-literate world, when a lot of people could not read, uh, memorized prayers this, this was a way to communicate good teaching, good theology to people, right? And so throughout the history of the church, many denominations, they have prescribed prayers for people to use. This is piggybacking off of Judaism. Within Judaism, there are prescribed times to pray and prescribed prayers for people to pray. And the early church probably piggybacked off of this same idea. Uh, the main thing here is that prayer is an essential part of the early church and what they did when they came together. Uh, By the way, one of the things that I love about Grace Bible Church, one of the things I appreciated when I attended here 10, 12 years ago, is the time of pastoral prayer that I've now continued. I think it's a very special time to corporately pray together, to have very specific, focused, intentional prayer together as the body of Christ. And I think the early church did something similar. But this is Acts 2.42. And by the way, throughout history, Acts 2.42 has been used by a number of people uh, to suggest this is a good order of service. Right. So when believers come together. The elements we see here in Acts 2.42 are a good order of service for churches. This goes way, way back into church history. You're probably familiar with the name Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr wrote um, a long time ago, and he used this verse in order to describe and lay out a suggested order of service for the early church. Uh, But this is just one way. The Bible really doesn't command us or specify how we do church, what exactly we do. But what is the church? Because when we think of church, often what comes in our mind is what we do here on a Sunday morning. But what I hope you'll see as we look at number two on your outline is that the church is much more than the sum total of what we do on Sunday morning. The church is much more than the sum total of what we do on Sunday morning. And to look a little deeper into that, I want to invite you to look at number two on your outline, the theology of what we believe about the church here at Grace. On the back side of your outline, under number one, I've listed for you from our doctrinal statement what we believe here at Grace regarding the church and the ordinances of the church. Now, technically, if you pull out our bylaws, you look at our doctrinal statement, these are two separate statements in our statement of faith. I think they go together, so I'm going to propose we bring them together, and we're going to look at them together this morning. So let me read these for you first, and then we'll break it down phrase by phrase. So from our doctrinal statement, our statement of faith, it says, We believe regarding the church, we believe that the church, the body and bride of Christ, is a spiritual organism made up of all born-again persons of this present age, irrespective of their affiliation with Christian organizations. Regarding church ordinances, we believe that the Lord Jesus instituted the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper to be observed by all believers until his return. So let's kind of break these two statements down, phrase by phrase, and think about what we believe about the church here at Grace. So the first thing I want you to see there under the heading, the church, we believe that the church, the body and bride of Christ, So what is the church? One way of answering that question is to use a number of the pictures, illustrations, analogies that the New Testament itself uses to describe the church. And two of the most prominent pictures describing the church that you see in the New Testament are the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. The body of Christ and the bride of Christ. So we believe that the church is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Now think about both of those two pictures. The body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Both of these pictures have in common the real relational nature of the church. That we exist in relationship with God first and foremost, but also in relationship with one another. And again, this is something that makes the church different than a country club or some kind of organization, right? This is not just a place you show up from time to time, you pay your dues, but this truly is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. When you look at the different places in the New Testament that use this picture of the bride of Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses it to really to talk about the relationship of a husband and wife, but in that we learn something about the bride of Christ, that Jesus really is protecting us. He's guarding our purity. He laid down his life for us. When we think about what the New Testament says regarding the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians, we see images and pictures that ultimately Jesus is our head. He's the head of the body. Also, the book of Colossians. That each and every one of us, we are members of this body. We all have unique gifts, talents, and abilities that we bring to the table here to this body of Christ. And that each and every person is needed and necessary for the body to fully function as it's supposed to. But with both of these pictures, you see the relationality. You see the unity and yet diversity that together we're a body of Christ with different gifts, you see the love and the care that's supposed to characterize this group of people, and you also see a commitment that we commit ourselves to one another and so this is one way of answering the question: what is the church? As we continue reading our doctrinal statement we see as well that we believe that the church, the body and bride of Christ, notice, is a spiritual organism. That's kind of odd sounding, isn't it? It's a spiritual organism. This is like biology class or something, right? Um, but I believe what that phrase is intended to mean is like I said now a few times that this group of people is not just like any old organization. This is an organism. Organism. This is a living, breathing, moving, walking, talking group of people. That we are the living, breathing, moving, walking, talking representatives of Jesus and his body on this earth. What this phrase, I think, also means is that the church is not the building in which we meet, right? So if tomorrow this building burned down, Grace Bible Church still continues, This phrase also means that Grace Bible Church is not just some man-made organization. We do have bylaws, we have policies and procedures, we have all of those documents, but even if those things were to go away, we're still the body of Christ. Another thing that this phrase means is that because we believe this is a spiritual organism, that the church is more than just the Sunday morning event. Right? This isn't a show that you come, you watch, you, again, pitch a few dollars in the offering plate as your ticket to purchase or something like that, and then you go home. Uh, But the church is much more than what happens even on Sunday morning. What happens on Sunday morning is very important. But the church is more than that. It's a spiritual organism. But again, what is the church? Well, Continue reading in our doctrinal statement, we see that the church, the body and bride of Christ is a spiritual organism, notice this, made up of all born-again persons of this present age. So we believe that this group of people, the church, this spiritual organism, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ is made up of all born-again persons of this present age. The phrase born again obviously is taken from John chapter 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus when he says you must be born again. Uh, This is a way of saying that it's made up of people who have a relationship with Jesus. It's made up of people who have put their faith in him. And I want to pause here and Mention, like I do every week, for those of you here in this room, for those of you watching online, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, if you've not put your faith in him, if you're not born again, as our statement of faith says, I want to give you the opportunity right where you are, right where you're seated, right where you're watching from home, uh, to consider what the Bible says, that Jesus died in your place. As we talked about last week, when we talked about the gospel, we believe that Jesus died in your place. He offers to you freely as a gift redemption, salvation, reconciliation, the forgiveness of your sins. And if you've not trusted in him, I want to invite you to do that. But that's what we mean by that phrase. We believe that this church is made up of born-again persons. We also say we believe it's made up of born-again persons of this present age. Of this present age. Now, this is a really important phrase. I'm not going to have time to really dig into all the details, but what this phrase ultimately means is that the church, we believe here at Grace, began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. There are other churches, and we'll see them in heaven. They're believers, uh, but they believe that the church is just a replacement of Israel in the Old Testament. Now again, we'll see them in heaven, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. When we get to heaven, they will realize we were right and they were wrong, and everything will be good. Um, We can have fellowship with them, but one of the distinctives of Grace Bible Church is we believe that there is a distinction between Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. So the phrase, in this present age, is really alluding to that distinction. That we believe the church is a unique group of people distinct from Israel, began in Acts chapter 2, in this present age. So, continuing in our doctrinal statement, we believe that the church, the body of Bride of Christ, is a spiritual organism made up of born-again persons of this present age, irrespective of their affiliation with Christian organizations. I have no idea what that phrase means. <laughs> irrespective of their affiliation with Christian organizations. I called around this week to a few people who have been around Grace for a number of years, and I got basically two views on what this phrase means. It could mean, irrespective of their affiliation with Christian organizations, it could be alluding to the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that there is no salvation outside of their church. So this phrase could be saying, Hey, just because you're a member of a church or not a member of a church, it doesn't mean that that's how you're saved, right? We're saved by grace alone through faith alone and Jesus alone, not by joining or not joining some church. On the other hand, this phrase could be addressing the whole parachurch idea, that just because you're a member of Young Life or just because you're a member of... Some organization, or just because you're a student at Dallas Seminary, that's not a replacement for the local church. Those things are good. Parachurch church organizations are good. Mission organizations are good. Being a student at Dallas Seminary is good, but that's not the church. The church is something different. Now, both of those options are theologically accurate. You're not in the universal church because you join a local church. And being a part of a parachurch is not the same thing as being a part of a local church. Both are true. I don't know what was originally meant. This is yet again evidence to why I think we need to clarify our doctrinal statement. Because this was written in 1954. And even people who have been around Grace for a long time were not quite certain what this phrase means. So, let's clarify it. Um, But speaking of clarifying our doctrinal statement... um, There are, again, a few things that I'm going to suggest from time to time. As we move through our doctrinal statement, there are a few suggestions I'm going to make to clarify what we believe. I'm going to to ask that we move these two statements of the church and the ordinances into one. I think they go together. And a second recommendation I have is that we remove that phrase irrespective of their affiliation with Christian organizations or at least clarify what it means. But what we're looking at this morning, again, technically is two statements, what we believe about the church and what we believe about the ordinances. I suggest we bring these into one, but let's take a look in detail about what we believe about the ordinances here at Grace. Again, on the back side of your outline, we've listed it for you. We believe that the Lord Jesus... Instituted the ordinance, I think I should say ordinances, ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper to be observed by all believers until his return. So this is what we believe about the ordinances. First of all, what are ordinances? Some of you perhaps grew up in churches that used the word sacraments. Uh, sacraments are used by Roman Catholics, used by Anglicans, used by Episcopalians, used by a lot of higher church. And um, the word sacrament, truly, all it means is to make sacred or to dedicate to God. And if that's all that's meant, I really like the word sacrament. The problem is, as the word sacrament has been associated with some other views, churches like us, we've started using the word ordinance. Uh, But really, lexically, in the dictionary, they mean basically the same thing. It's only when you attach them to what other church traditions do that we begin to use different words. Um, But the word itself, sacrament, again, all it really means is to make sacred or to dedicate to God. And ordinance carries the same basic idea. And here at Grace, we recognize two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, regarding baptism, historically, we practice believers' baptism by immersion. And this basically means two things. We practice believers' baptism, not infant baptism. So we baptize people after you have a genuine personal faith in Jesus as your Savior. The next step, a step of obedience, is to get baptized as a public demonstration of that faith. Secondly, we practice baptism by immersion. That's why we have a baptistry. And the reasoning behind this is immersion, going under the water and coming up again, is a clear picture of what has taken place in your identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, historically at Grace, we have practiced believers' baptism by immersion. However, in the history, which Gary Swindell wrote of Grace Bible Church. In 1955, one year after Grace was founded, our first pastor, S. Lewis Johnson, purchased a baptismal cup. And in 1961, apparently it took him six years to muster up the courage, he baptized by sprinkling, I think, five people. Um, And so, it has been done here at Grace. I think it's all been believer's baptism, but we've dunked primarily, but we've also poured or sprinkled a little bit along the way. Uh, Now, let me tell you my view on this. My view on this is really connected with an ancient document called the Didache. It's a first century document. It's not inspired, but it's very informative. It helps us understand how the early church did church. And in that document, it says this. It says, Now, regarding baptism, baptize in this way. After the candidate has been instructed, so they need to know the truths of the faith, it says, Baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit in running water. And there, I think they're referring to immersion. But then it says, If you have no running water, baptize in some other water. If water is lacking, Pour water on the head three times in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, So early on in the church, I think, they preferred baptism by immersion, but recognized there might be special circumstances where pouring will work. And so, uh, very practically, if, you know, we're in a drought right now, right? We're supposed to limit our water. Um, I think baptism by pouring would be okay. Okay or if physically, I know not everybody physically could enter into a baptistry. If that's your situation, if you wanna get baptized but you physically can't get into baptistry, no problem. Somebody find the cup that S. Lewis Johnson purchased and I'll be willing to do baptism by pouring. Um, But that's what we believe about baptism here at Grace. Now let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Uh, The Lord's Supper, historically here at Grace, Uh, We've obviously observed the Lord's Supper. Uh, In recent years, we do it on the first Sunday of every week. Um, And there are a lot of views in church history about what takes place around this table. Uh, To be clear, I disagree, we disagree with the view of the Roman Catholic Church who believes that the bread and the juice change substances and become the literal, actual body and blood of Jesus. We don't believe that. Uh, There's kind of on the other end of the spectrum the view that what takes place here is pure memorial. It's just intellectually recalling and remembering what Jesus has done. Personally, I think that's not enough. I believe that something significant, takes place at this table. The elements don't change. This is still bread, it's still grape juice, but there is something spiritually unique that takes place when the body of Christ uh, uh, observes communion together. I've shared with you before that the church I pastored in Wyoming, we were part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And I really like what their statement of faith says about the Lord's table. It says this. It says actually regarding both baptism and the Lord's Supper, these visibly and tangibly express the gospel. And though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. And I really like that last phrase. That when we as a church take communion together, this is not the means of salvation. The substance does not change. But the act of doing this together nourishes the believer. So again, there's different suggestions that I'm going to make together with the elders, we will make to you about things we can clarify in our doctrinal statement. And as we look at our doctrinal statement, like I said, I think we need to bring the church and our ordinances together. I think we need to remove that confusing phrase, irrespective of their affiliation with Christian organizations. And then a third change I would suggest or clarification that we could make is adding something in about the local church. If you look at our statement of faith, it's really focused on the worldwide universal church. There's nothing really in it about the local church. So let me offer to you my current thinking, my current proposal that uh, I think we can clarify what it is we believe about the church here at Grace. Let me read this for you. We believe that the universal church The body and bride of Christ is made up of all persons in this present age who have been justified by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. We believe that God desires for believers to be involved in a local church, led by qualified elders and deacons, in order to be instructed in the faith, to be encouraged towards Christ-likeness, and to be led in godly worship. We believe that the Lord Jesus, who is the head of the church, instituted the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper. These ordinances spiritually nourish the believer and are to be regularly observed until his return. And so that's my current proposal. I hope you like it. It's not inspired. I think it's pretty good. We can talk about it later. Uh, But let's talk about now number three on your outline. What difference does it make? Why should we care to clarify Our statement of faith about the church. Really, what difference does it make in our life? I've got a couple thoughts for you. Uh, First of all, I want to recognize that the last two years, because of the last two years, the American church especially is in a very unique space, where we've entered into a very unique moment. Uh, Sadly, record number of people have left the church altogether. Positively, there are a number of people who were not attending local churches pre-COVID, but because of COVID, they've got questions they want answered, and they're coming to the church. A third category, if you will, is there are a number of people who were involved in a local church pre-COVID They got out of the routine during COVID and now they're in the middle of this kind of church shopping experience, right? And even here at Grace, we've had a lot of people come and check out our church to see what we're about. We have some guests here today. I'm glad you're here. Um, There's a lot of interesting things that are taking place in the American church right now, just a huge movement of people. And so wherever you are in that, I've got some suggestions for you. If you're in that group of people who you are exploring churches right now, maybe you weren't going to church before COVID, maybe you were, and now you're looking to change churches. If you're here, here's my suggestion to you. This is thus saith Jace. This is not thus saith the Lord. My suggestion to you would be to pick a deadline for yourself. A month from now, two months from now, whatever it is, and say, by this date, I'm going to land in a local church. Because you could do the church shopping thing for years here in DFW and never go to the same church twice. I don't think that's healthy. So whether you pick Grace or you pick another church, I would encourage you to pick a deadline and say, by this date, I'm going to land somewhere, I'm going to commit there, I'm going to get involved, I'm going to serve, I'm going to love other people, be loved by other people my high, high encouragement to you would be to pick a church that believes the gospel and preaches the Bible. Pick a church that believes the gospel and preaches the Bible. Things like church size, church programming, those are important, but those are secondary issues. Find a church that believes the gospel and, and, and uh, teaches the Bible. Now, if you're in the group of people, and I know most of you are, that, man, Grace Bible Church is where you're at. You're glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. There's two things I'd have for you. I think the future of the church, the future of the American church especially, we're going to need to do two things really, really well. So I want to suggest that you commit yourself to two things really, really well. Number one is I think churches are going to have to make a firm commitment to our God and to his word. There's a lot of churches right now who are walking away from the truth of Scripture to be more accommodating to culture. We're not going to make that mistake here. I would encourage us corporately and you individually to make a firm commitment to God and to his word. No compromises. But the second commitment I think we as the church have to make is a commitment to love people to love people. Dr. Toussaint, who was a professor at Dallas Seminary, who was a music pastor here at some point, he said really the job of a pastor is two things, preach the word and love the people. And it's the same for you. Commit yourself to the word and commit yourself to love people, even people who disagree with us, even people who hate us. One of the distinctive marks of Christians for the last 2,000 years is our love. Our love. The people outside of this church, the people outside of the global church, they're not our enemy. They're the mission field. And the way we reach them is through truth and love. And so let's commit ourselves as a body of believers here at Grace to commit ourselves to God and to His Word and to love people as Christ has loved us. I think that'll make a great church. And I love this church. I hope you know I love this church. We're not perfect. I know we're not the church for everybody, and that's okay. But I love this church, and even though we're not perfect, week in and week out, what we come together to do is to worship the perfect one. And one of the ways we worship the perfect one is by observing this table together. So in the next few moments, we're going to do just that. Let me pray, and then I'm going to give you some instructions for communion this morning. Father, thank you. Uh, for the gift of your church. Thank you for the global church. Thank you for local churches. And we recognize, we know we're not perfect. Uh, We have areas where we need to grow, where we need to be better, where we are not perfectly representing you. Uh, Give us patience, give us grace, give us wisdom, give us forgiveness with one another. And at the end of the day, Father, I pray that everything we do ultimately would bring glory to you. As we enter now into time around this table. Give us us wisdom. uh, Give us uh, an intentionality of focus of our hearts and of our minds to really stop, slow down, and consider the one who laid down his life for us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.